0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We are broadcasting live from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference, talking to all the politicians and business leaders who gather here each year to talk about the state's biggest issues. Garland Gilchrist made a name for himself in Michigan politics after nearly unseating incumbent Detroit City Clerk Janice Winfrey in 2017. He made such a strong effort that year that Gretchen Whitmer decided to make him her running mate in last year's election now he's michigan's lieutenant governor and he's here on mackinac trying to advance whitmer's agenda when it comes to roads the budget and more garland Gil- gilchrist joins me now on detroit today great to see you up here
1: it's good to be here with you steven
0: yes um, we have to start of course with auto no-fault reform sure uh, I-, I was one of the people uh, who was surprised to see this sort of come together at the last minute right before we all came up here to Mackinac Island? Uh, tell me what you uh, What you find? Uh, in this proposal that people should be excited about uh, Why do you feel that the governor was able to,
1: to, to sort of reach this deal with the Republicans? Well, I think this is an important first step towards reforming a system that really has been A mess for for as long as I've been alive. Our entire lives. (laughs) As long as I've been alive. And I think, you know, as someone who had the experience of returning back to Michigan to raise my family and then being met with car insurance rates that quadrupled compared to when I lived in Washington, D.C., when my car was parked in the street and was broken into, um, I saw this firsthand. And so this, you know, compromise that we've reached, Working in a bipartisan manner, working with Republican and Democratic leaders from both the State House and the State Senate, we've reached something that is gonna give people you know, relief on their rates. We've reached something that's gonna enable people to choose the coverage that makes sense for them and their family and their household. And we've put some severe limitations on the discrimination that has in part defined our system for generations. You know, looking at credit scores and zip codes and gender and marital status. These are very important things that exist. And then I think one of the ones we don't talk about as much, but I think is important, is the Department of Insurance and Financial Services. We actually are empowering that agency to be a consumer protection agency in a way that it has not been it's in the past. It's supposed to
0: be and it's and not what, functioning. And that it's way. not
1: been that way. And so whether it's through this, this compromise, through our budget proposal, we've put forward um, programs that will enable them to do consumer protection when it comes to the insurance industry. And that's very important. We're talking about ending and curbing the discrimination against people in the city of Detroit, where I live, and where my wife drives, and making sure that people have great relief across the mm-hmm. state, and that insurance companies have some accountability with how they do business
0: so uh, there are a lot of Democrats who are very upset about this compromise who feel as though the governor gave too much that she didn't get enough uh, in terms of that anti discrimination uh, pro- pro- uh, provision that you were talking about and that this this sort of indulges this idea that some people will be riding around in cars Uh, without the kind of medical coverage that you would need if you got into a very serious accident uh, and needed long-term long-term care. How do you answer those criticisms?
1: Well, I think that, again, look, as I opened up, this is a first step towards reforming the system that's been in place for a long time and hasn't been working. But I also think that this is an opportunity for the people who are currently riding around in cars without car insurance. So that's, that the, the, number all, is, right? the number is about 25% statewide. That the estimates are somewhere between 40 and 50% in the city of Detroit who are riding without car insurance. That's also a bad spot for them and for you know, heaven forbid they, anyone they get into an accident with or any pedestrian or biker who they may strike. So we are actually inviting participation in the, in the system, which we know that how insurance works mm-hmm. is when more people participate, that lowers cost for everybody. And yeah. so we're, we're really, we think that this is the right first step towards reforming this. But this is really historic. I don't want to lose sight of that. And we, there have been legislators who've been arguing and opining and people have tried to make things happen on this issue and have not. And I think it's a testament to our administration, a testament to Governor Whitmer, and frankly, the, the leadership in the legislature for saying we're going to work together and we're going to do something big. We're going to do something hard. That does not scare us. And so whether it's on insurance reform, you've seen that. You've started to see that and you're going to see more of it on criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. finding the legislation on civil asset forfeiture. And I'm leading a bipartisan task force on pretrial incarceration, which is the most comprehensive look at our, at our county jail system that's ever happened in the history of the state of Michigan. You know, there are a lot of big opportunities for bipartisan partnership because our administration is interested in governance. Now that we're here, working with everybody else in Lansing who won an election, and so now it's our responsibility to govern on behalf of the people, and that's what we're going to do.
0: What, what about this uh, territorial? issue in the insurance reform, and and to to sort of explain to listeners, uh, insurers will not be able to look at things like zip code or credit scores or uh, a number of different factors when they set rates, but they will be able to look at territories, and I think there's a lot of people who are worried that that's just going to replace the old way of saying, well, you live in Detroit, so you're going to pay way more than somebody who lives somewhere else. Why, why is that an acceptable part of the bill?
1: So first of all, by actually explicitly outlawing some sort of discrimination, I think this is objectively a better regime than existed before it. And again, when talk, when I talk about empowering the Department of Insurance and Financial Services to be a consumer protection agency, part of that means being a watchdog for when those rates are set and how they're set. That, see, these insurance companies are going to have to explain why their rates are set why the way they, they are, are, are doing what and they're how doing. it's structured what the rationale is and then it's it up to that agency to perform the consumer protection function to say you know this is discrimination and that's not what we want in our system
0: yeah um, so we got a deal on auto insurance I, I i've talked for a while about this kind of three-legged stool i think of, of issues auto insurance roads budget Uh, they all are kind of interconnected right now uh, and i think we were waiting to see one of them come together so that uh, maybe it'd make it easier on on the other two is that something we you feel like is going to happen does this open up the door to a better discussion uh, an easier discussion about a roads deal
1: so we certainly have seen this is a demonstration of what bipartisan conversations can can result in as far as doing something big and important For our administration, the budget and and road funding or the budget and infrastructure funding have always been connected. Those are those are there's never been there's never been disconnect in terms of how you've ever heard the governor or I talk about those issues, because we need new revenue, really two point five billion dollars in additional annual revenue on top of what we have now in order to fix our roads and infrastructure problem. We have to raise that revenue in the right way so that we can then stop spending general fund money on fixing potholes and can instead spend it on higher education. And we can stop spending K through 12 school aid money on higher education so we can actually use it to make the once in a generation education investment that our students desperately need and deserve. So that that has always been connected for us and we're looking forward to seeing the you know, infrastructure funding proposals from the legislature. Uh, we haven't seen those yet. But when, when those are on the table, we'll be able to have a conversation about that, too.
0: The 45 cents per gallon increase in the gas tax that the governor proposed, it's really unpopular, way more unpopular than I thought it was going to be, uh, especially with voters, uh, not just with the, the people in the legislature who have to vote for it. Talk about how you sell that to people.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the governor and I have spent time in, in different parts of the state, nearly every part of the state, talking about this issue. And sure, when we when we start the conversation, people are like, yeah, that seems like a lot. But then we talk about really the depth of the challenges, the fact that, you know, legislatures in the past have frankly not told the truth about how much money is going to cost to fix our infrastructure. Everyone knows that the roads are bad. Everyone is aware that our water infrastructure in the Great Lakes state is an abomination. Everybody is aware of that, um, but they haven't been told Or have them them explain to them that it actually does cost money to fix these problems. And that because you've been lied to in the past, it costs more to fix now. And so we put in place a proposal with this gas tax increase that will raise the revenue in the right way. So it protects from future legislatures or future governors being able to say, we're not going to spend that revenue on roads and infrastructure. If we raise it through this tax, it has to be spent on roads and infrastructure. And that's what unlocks this other investment in spending. The $120 million in water infrastructure and service line replacement and research and mitigation for PFAS, the $60 million for hydration stations in schools, the money to to fund the Michigan Reconnect program to help close the skills cap by by providing a tuition-free pathway to uh, professional certification, the My Opportunity Scholarship Program, which makes us the first state in the Midwest to offer a tuition-free pathway to community college or tuition assistance in the first two years of a four-year degree. All these things are unlocked if we raise the revenue in the right way. So when we're talking about this in Port Huron or Detroit or New Buffalo or Cadillac, we're explaining it in these terms this is, these are the benefits when the government actually makes the right choice in how it raises revenue and then how it allocates it. And once that conversation happens, then people say, okay, I understand that. So that makes sense to me. I just need to trust that you're going to use the money in the way that you're saying.
0: That's the real skepticism people seem to have is that if I give you this money, it's not gonna make a difference. You're gonna do something else with it than what you say.
1: That's why we put the guardrail up about raising it in this way. So, you know, money if you've if you've looked at how the state raises money and if you raise money through a sales tax that has to be cut up all these different ways. If you raise the money in in, in other in income tax, we raise, it's be raised, it's split up in different ways. Raising the money through this gas and fuel tax dedicates it to solving this problem. And so we tried to protect ourselves against it, you know. <laughs> we ran on a platform of being honest about the problems and that we would introduce solutions that met the size and scale of those problems. We're not interested in half measures. We're not interested in fake solutions. We think this is a real one, and that's why we've been committed to it since we introduced it in March, and we're waiting patiently to now hear what the uh, what our you know, Republican counterparts are going to put on the table so we can begin to have a conversation. Yeah.
0: I'm talking with Garland Gilchrist, the Lieutenant Governor here of the state of Michigan. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel uh, on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference talking about all the leaders, the business leaders and political leaders who are gathered here to help solve the state's problems uh before i let you go i want to talk about detroit schools uh which i know is something you're really passionate about you live in the city like like i do uh like lots of people do and struggle with this issue uh all the time right where do you send your kids to school is is a prime question that uh, detroit families have to ask and it Gets asked in a different way uh, than than if you live in other communities. There was a, a really interesting reporting uh, recently about the amount of debt that uh, the schools are taking on in order to just just to keep things going. Sure. Uh, uh, and it reminded me of the money conversation about schools that we had kind of started with this idea of you know this new district and giving it a new chance, but we hadn't finished. There's no question. I talked with uh, Superintendent Vitti uh, just just recently about the fact that he just needs more money. He needs more money per pupil uh, in order to do all of the things that you have to do in a school system that's got all kind of problems that uh, that Detroit has. I I wonder what you make of that challenge and maybe the opportunity that uh, the governor has uh, to turn that in a different
1: direction. We absolutely have a tremendous opportunity because every child in the state of Michigan deserves access to a high quality public school education. Um, And so we are working to make that true. So in our budget proposal, we actually propose uh, a 507 million dollar investment in public education in the state of Michigan. That is the largest single budget year investment since 2002. So when I talk about once in a generation, that's what I mean. And that's literally true. It, right? it literally and so what it does is it does several things. So one is it does increase the per pupil spend um, for districts across the state, um, by at a minimum of $120 per pupil. That's a that's real money. That's again a, the big one of the largest per pupil per increases by changing that weighted foundation allowance. We're also doing it in a way that recognizes that different districts have different needs and different priorities. Some districts need to spend more on transportation. Some need to spend more on buildings and fixing their buildings. Some need to spend more on um, professionals professional uh, development opportunities for their teachers. We also are making an investment to triple the number of literacy coaches by tripling the funding for the program that the state program that funds literacy coaches for school districts because our reading outcomes for third and fourth graders have been pretty bad. We're actually the only state in the country that's seen our reading scores decline for in terms of fourth grade reading proficiency. We've also increased funding for career and technical education programs, programs for children with special needs, and programs for kids who are at a higher risk of of having um, other problems. So we agree that there is a funding challenge when it comes to education in the state of Michigan. And that is why our budget proposal is structured in the way that it is that enables us to make this once-in-a-generation investment. So we're looking forward to working with Dr. VD and other education leaders across the yeah. state to make that happen. But,
0: but all of those proposals depend on... The Republican legislature agreeing with those funding levels, and they hinge to some degree on this this question about the roads. Right? It's all it's all uh, one big question, really. Yeah. That's why. So
1: that, that's why I said before that these have never been disconnected for yeah. us. And yeah. so, we, when the way that we've structured our proposal is, we are asking the legislature to, frankly, take one historic vote to unlock this opportunity for the next generation of people in the state of Michigan, so that. Children can have the educational outcomes that they deserve so that families can choose Michigan as a place to build a family and build a future so that businesses can have access to the talent that we know exists in Michigan, even if we just need the professional certification to put it on paper. um, These are the opportunities that we have to unlock in Michigan, and that's why we structure the proposal in the way that we have.
0: Okay, Garland Gilchrist, Lieutenant Governor of the State of Michigan. Great to see you as always.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Good to see you. Thanks for being with
0: us. All right. All right. Coming up, we are going to talk with Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence. Stay with, with us here on the drink today.